Hi, welcome to the Frequency IoT Podcast. This is Stephen, recording today from the lovely and very quiet podcast room at Prototype Prime. And Brian, where are you joining us from today? Yeah, this is Brian Huey, and I'm recording from Studio 1A in Des Moines, Iowa. Much colder for you than for me today, I'm sure. Yes, my garden sensor is frozen solid. It's a balmy 15 degrees today. I'll make sure to come visit you in the summer. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit different show format today. Um, wanted to start out by discussing some future technologies, right? So around connected vehicles. And there was an article that was published this week by Fierce Wireless. And it was taking the stance from Toyota Motor Company and, you know, their feedback on DSRC. So for those of you guys that haven't really delved into DSRC, it's a um, unlicensed spectrum piece that the government is set aside for vehicles essentially to communicate uh, to the infrastructure. So... In the 5.9 gigahertz band. C- correct. And yeah. it does get kind of a bad rap because, one, the government was actually fairly forward-thinking in setting the spectrum aside. So the spectrum's been there a really long time, and a lot of people see it as failed, and everyone wants to immediately jump to uh, cellular V to X on 5G networks, right? And... Obviously, the biggest problem there is there are no 5G networks yet. So my, my standpoint, right, I deal with this on a pretty regular basis. So certainly it may look that may be seen as a failed technology just because, yes, it's been around for quite some time as far as the spectrum. But spectrum's been around for a long time, and in different technologies, it's not useful until the technology catches up to it, right? So um, cars haven't been connected for a very long time, right? And they haven't had the availability to connect to any part of the infrastructure at all in real time due to, one, technology limitations just from um, a hardware perspective, but second of all, just the wireless networks, right? So it's interesting to see a lot of the OEMs and their stances on whether they're going to use DSRC or whether they're going to use cellular V to X as a way for the cars to communicate to each other and as their form to communicate out to the infrastructure. Yeah, and in in fact, you and I were exchanging some emails uh, earlier this week on this topic because we had come across a Qualcomm analysis um, that was basically comparing V to X technology with uh, DSRC and the performance on a 5G network. Like they were seeing, seeing latencies of around 22 milliseconds because the existing networks that, uh, you know, an LTE release 13 network is usually 50 milliseconds or greater, right? And so avoiding uh, obstacles or taking actions for obstacles, stop traffic, uh, lane changes, uh, I think that becomes more challenging when you have so much so much of a fluctuating latency um, issue with LTE, right, versus the sub-20 millisecond guaranteed latency that's either being tested with 5G or 
Um, or uh, is it DSRC? And I think that that's kind of the net of what you're saying. Right. And, you know, I think DSRC currently is a great solution primarily because it's available, right? So um, just as any technology, you know, you have life cycles and new generations that are released, right? So uh, for an automaker like Toyota to say, hey, we're going to use DSRC because we don't think it's failed. Well, it's if they actually want to test, you know, how you communicate between the infrastructure and how cars communicate to each other, DSRC is the best way today. It's available. So um, I think sometimes, you know, especially in the media today, there's there's been an absolute ton of hype around 5G just this week alone, right? And while 5Gs will be great, when we're talking about cars that could be anywhere, just U.S. alone, right, um, the DSRC spectrum is available, right? You just need the hardware. So um, it's, it's an interesting state. Certainly there are advantages to, to V to X. Certainly uh, you will be able to do a lot more with it um, in the future, but it's, yeah, ultimately, it's, yeah, ultimately, it, it's going to come back to the auto manufacturers, right? Because they operate on a three-year R&D cycle, right? The technology in your car now is three years old. Right, absolutely. Right? But, and so, yeah. I mean, it's out there today, you know. You and I would probably love to have 5G on some device in our backpack, but you know what? 4G is available. That's what I, what's, what I have, and it works great now, right? So... <laughs> Still lots of technologies being built around it, too, right? So um, pretty interesting topic, I think, for Toyota just to kind of ground everyone or at least attempt to and say, hey, um, you know, this isn't a failed technology. Yes, it's underutilized today, but it's readily available in something that we could make a lot of advancements with currently. So, well, with that, Brian, let's let's see what you were up to this week and see if you had any insights or cool things that you ran into. Yeah, so... Earlier this week, I was in the St. Louis market and had some interesting conversations. One of uh, one of the interesting things that popped up um, was, you know, you know, when we navigate to different um, uh, stores, restaurants, or our destination, it, you know, um, utilizing your navigation on your handset device, it takes you to takes you to your destination but let's say you arrive at a multi-storied building it's brand new to you you know i've experienced this a few times where i'm going to different corporate offices and you're trying to find the right office well the technology you know the handset technology today gets you to the building but it really doesn't map the interior part of the building and so I was uh, previewed to see a early demo of a technology that uh, was being used in grocery stores and uh, um, and um, um, other convenience stores where you could build a shopping list and that technology will actually map you through a mapping application like Google Maps or augmented reality with a video overlay and actually lay breadcrumbs um, throughout the store and navigate you down different aisles and put uh, bubble up uh, pop up ads, you know, uh, uh, highlighting where the product is on the shelf, and it was, uh, I think, it was accurate to a couple centimeters. So it was really impressive um, to actually see that because that shows the state of of um, 
of where new applications that we're going to see on our handsets are uh, are going to become available in the next 12 to 18 months. So the, um, how IoT ties into this is in order to get that that kind of uh, location precision, um, you're, there's a couple different technologies that uh, can be used. There's some visual processing that can be, di- be done on the handset, and some of the new uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon chipsets have uh, multi-core AI processing engines built into that Snapdragon as well as uh, multiple cameras. So uh, you'll be able to uh, tie into the AI chipset. Um, there's visual processing going on where different devices or different environmental variables can be recognized within the application and uh, and uh, overlay that on a map. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is uh, utilizing some kind of beacon within the store. So there could be Wi-Fi beacons, Bluetooth beacons, and, you know, that stuff has already been around now. If You know, when you go into Target, uh, um, you know, there's Wi-Fi throughout the store, and they can track unique MAC addresses. And as you walk through the store, um, uh, build a picture as to who you are and what you're interested in. But then there's other technologies that use out-of-band uh, positioning, either um, either uh, light-emitting arrays or acoustic arrays. And in those cases, um, it's it it is um, it's uh, monitoring those systems and providing feedback on those systems and control becomes critical. And so that's what, uh, that was the IoT tying component because uh, creating that kind of grid within the store is going to require some kind of monitoring and optimization. And, uh, and I found that pretty interesting. So that was, uh, yeah, that was one. What I, you have a comment? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So the things I was looking at this week are kind of similar. So, and uh, just behind the scenes note, Brian and I don't always share everything we're going to talk about. So we'll see how it no, goes. No, we don't. <laughs> so it's under uh, NDA. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking at verticals this week, right? So uh, retail was kind of retail hospitality was one that specifically kind of stuck out to me and. What I was trying to wrap my head around is there are so many solutions, right? So you mentioned Target, right? So Target's a big corporation. They certainly have lots of money and horsepower behind um, their IT departments to maybe take that beacon data and to take visual data from cameras, um, you know, inventory systems, right? All these things they have going on in the store, right? But I was kind of taking it down to the next level, something sparse. So let's let's just use a convenience store example. And the problem I started finding was, you know, even in just a convenience store, right? And we're talking a pretty advanced, you know, connected store, right? You've got temperature and humidity monitors, rat traps maybe, right? You've got POS systems. You have security systems. Um, you've got you know, PCI compliance, hardware, things that are tying, you know, this store together. But that convenience store, unless it's a major chain, right, probably doesn't have the horsepower to 
gather all that data and make sense of it together, right? All these all these solutions are kind of fragmented, right? Um, when, you, when you think of your home, right, you, you, you can work pretty hard to say, look, I want my home to have cameras from XYZ and sensors from XYZ and lighting controls from XYZ. And in your house, you can almost narrow it down to kind of one technology or at least one hub that will gather the information. But in the commercial space, you know, you're relying on third-party aggregators or a really big IT department to try to tie that stuff together. So, you know, my brain was wrapping around, you know, how how does someone that doesn't have that IT spend or someone that's a, a, a wee bit smaller but can make use of IoT, can make use of connected devices, right? How do they end up managing? It's like, you know, you've got seven systems you're gathering data from. You know, I in my world, right, I try to compare it to the 700 passwords I have, right? You've got these seven different things. You've got information flowing from them. None of them make sense. None of them align time-wise. So I think it'll be interesting moving forward to see as some solutions in each particular vertical, and my brain was just kind of wrapped around retail, hospitality type stuff this week. Um, you know, how do you make use of all that information when a lot of times the information's coming from, you know, seven different directions? Well, yeah, and that's the that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge that we've uh, that we have had, no matter what vertical that you're in. Um, because each vertical, as you pointed out, they have their own proprietary data analytics, and they're tr- trying to. And most of these companies are trying to avoid disintermediation, right? Uh, they want to own the value chain. But in some cases, like utilities, is a fantastic example. Utilities uh, will, due to the sheer magnitude of the RFPs, will enforce vendor uh, cooperation and collaboration to a point. You know, um, you could use somebody's meter and somebody else's platform and somebody else's communications network, and um, uh, more or less the data will interchange. But, yeah, you point to a, a great point. And, you know, I think that's a good segue uh, into an article I read uh, uh, this week. It was featured in Enterprise IoT, and uh, they interviewed Chris Penrose from AT&T, who leads their IoT practice. And, you know, I read through this three-part article, and he basically described the the life that you and I live, right? You know, there are package solutions that we can assist customers with, and um, they have a specific need, and away they go. Um, um, but um, the the phrase that stuck with me the most is is uh, you and I, the roles that we play and peers in the industry, we're master, master systems integrators. You know, we are integrating multiple systems uh, in providing a, a solution out to a company so that they, they can create value in the marketplace. And from a master systems integrator, we could be pulling in data analytics. We could be pulling in 
field force installation and maintenance. Um, it could be traditional LTE connectivity. There could be some, uh, or, G or HSPA. There could be some international components. There's some data hosting components. Uh, there's the IoT device management components, right? There, there are multiple systems that we can bring in uh, to launch that solution out into the marketplace. So I found that to be, to be uh, quite interesting uh, because it, it ties into exactly what you were saying. Right, and it looks yeah. like in that article, you know, certainly also referenced narrowband. And yeah, did you see that? Yeah, yeah so what's, inter what's interesting is that you know, kind of go back to what I was saying this week, like you could not get off of Twitter without seeing 5G all over the place, right? But yeah. in the space that we live, right, narrow bands like the party happening before 5G gets here, right? So, That's right. You know, yeah. I think, you know, there are certain applications in fi that 5G fits perfectly, right? Yeah. But I think in this world where we've lived in... LoRa networks, right? BLE networks. Um, we've been trying to tie these sensors, right? We've been trying to gather more data, um, find out ways to keep that hardware running, right? You know, narrowband is that sweet spot where you now can make those devices. They can independently report, which I think is important for redundancy, right? We've been living in a gateway world for quite a while, and while gateways are great. Um, it is a single point of failure, right? So, mm -hmm. um, it, yeah. you know, I, I personally, I kind of like the, the stuff that we're seeing, you know, come out in the narrowband LTE world right now. I think it's very useful. I think there's plenty of solutions that have been out there for quite some time that um, have been struggling to, to manage battery life specifically that will make great uses of that technology. So I thought it was... Interesting to see that tied yeah. in. You know, certainly 5G is going to play a big role in IoT, but I'd like to see uh, narrowband have its have its 15 minutes of fame first. Well, it will. You know, so I, I think to use a, an analogy, right? The 5G handset tablet people—they're all um, you know—they're all over at Ruth Chris enjoying a nice dinner, right? Whereas the NBIOT LTEM crowd—we're down at the House of Blues having a couple beers. And having a good time with live music. And that, I think that's kind of the way the industry is looking right now, right? If you read all the stuff that was in 5G today, it was, or this week, it was about uh, Verizon's um, um, uh, home broadband, I forget what they were calling it, but their, their wireless broadband network. It was that conference that was out in Maui. And it was mostly handset. Handset related. I think The Verge even had a couple articles uh, saying that the 5G was somewhat of a dud due to the lack of speeds at that conference. But really, the component, um, the component that you and I are most excited about is the 5G uh, LTE M um, uh, M-2 specs and NBIOT specs, and that's what kind of surprised me in this article with Ken, or not with Ken, with Chris Penrose, is uh, he came out and said that they are actually launching NBIOT middle of 2019. 
And if you recall from our last podcast, you know, I was kind of going down the, the route of, well, what is the value of MBIOT versus uh, LTEM when you have CE mode B? All right, because so, CE mode B kind of equalizes the coverage. So is it is MBIOT purely just a capacity play? Um, but, you know, we'll see how this plays out. Um, I I you know, from a 5G perspective, uh, in fact, you know, we were just talking about this, right, with, uh, with, uh, 5G, uh, vehicle to X connectivity. That's all 5G related. Um, from an MB, or from a, uh, uh, MTC type, machine type communications perspective. So that's where we'll see, uh, interesting, some interesting, uh, trends evolve there, but this takes me to the second article I wanted to point out today uh, was the Multifire uh, 1.1 spec was uh, was uh, completed. So without getting too too much into alphabet soup, this is why do you care that uh, the Multifire spec was completed? Well, in this spec, um, this spec was written to allow MBIOT and uh, E, um, uh, MTC type communications in the multifire band spec. So if you remember, multifire allows LTE devices to authenticate in an unlicensed network. So like um, international or well domestically in the U.S. as well as internationally, there's the 800 and 900 megahertz bands, which is where you know you it's kind of a crowded band where uh, baby monitors and and um, smart meters uh, exist and some of them have moved out of that band but it allows um, communication in those bands as well as the 2.4 Wi-Fi bands so um, uh, the what you need to know and why do you care well as uh, the next generation of modules um, are spun out by Manufacturers like Quoctel and and uh, Telet and Sierra, um, these mo- these modules will, I would say, sometime in the next 12 months, will start building in the spec. And if they built in the 800, 900, and 2.4 bands, which um, it's not too difficult for them to do because they're all using software-defined radios now. Um, now you will I, I, next 12 to 18 months, you will have devices that will be able to authenticate to 800-900-2.4 networks, which is a big deal because it enhances coverage for those devices as well as uh, coverage uh, coverage options for those integrators. And my personal view is I think this will s- solidify the carrier as um, the central driving force for proxying and authenticating those devices because there's an inherent trust element that the that the network provider has. Right. So, so, so as yeah. I was reading reading up on this when you sent it over to me, right? So we're we're talking about unlicensed spectrum, right? But giving an end user the capability to use an existing device, right? Similar to similar to Wi-Fi, right? Except you're going to use it at a lower band, right? So you get a little bit better um, from a coverage standpoint. So one of the examples I saw um, in a couple of the articles was, you know, take a take a look at something like a venue, right? So a large football stadium today, right? Certainly from an LTE standpoint, carriers are using um, in-building DAS systems, you know, increasing capacity just because everyone's streaming, sending pictures, all sorts of fun. But 
On this unlicensed Spectrum side, it's interesting to see that in like a scenario where you've got a venue, you know, what if inside that venue you can deliver um, specific information to the fans, let's say at a football game, at a, at a football stadium, what if you can deliver very specific content across a network like this that's outside of the normal carrier bands for LTE, right? So you're, you're offering the special experience or um, special connectivity to hear different types of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, as you read through this, you're, you're like, all right, cool, new, new technology, but how could it be used? So those are the things that kind of buzzed through my head was, well, you could, you know, deliver your own kind of content outside of the carriers using existing networks, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess it, you know when when I, we stop and think about it, if uh, if new consumer electronics products, you know that. So we have the current generation of Wi-Fi enabled products like Ring and Alexa. Uh, these devices all have to proxy. You know, they all require some kind of user setup, right? Well, what if in the multi-fire world with this new uh, 1.1 spec, since machine type communications is now part of the spec, what if the carrier becomes that proxy? So there is no longer um it, it there is no longer a user um pulling up a web page to type in the wi-fi password and uh grant permissions through the router what if that's all done by the carrier i don't know it's uh quite interesting and anything you can do to get people off the Wi-Fi ban, I'm in favor of. So well, I, yeah. I, I went on mute and laughed really how loud when you said baby monitors. So I personally yeah. experienced this when my, my son was younger a couple of years ago. We bought these uh, not connected Wi-Fi, but kind of preparatory uh, baby cams, and they were using the 2.4 spectrum. And it took me five minutes to basically say, wow, you just killed the Wi-Fi network in our house with these crazy baby cams, right? Yeah. So it's like no, everybody, I, I, everybody moved to 5 gigahertz. Everybody jump off now. Yeah, yeah. I guess what it, my perspective, what I'm saying, and I, I guess I'd have to dig a little bit deeper into the spec, but let's say you get in a year, you get that new ring doorbell, um, the, the new version that comes out. It has multi-fire built in. Um, are you actually going to go through the whole Wi-Fi authentication process, or is that doorbell is that doorbell going to authenticate to a multi-fire enabled router, which then connects to a carrier and that proxies the permission? I guess that's where I was going. Yeah, but, it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have to think about the business model there. But technic from a technology perspective, it's possible, and there, and. Um, you know, it, with the uh, Facebook article that came out in the Guardian earlier this week, maybe there is some value to carrier uh, secured privacy versus, you know, untrusted privacy. Well, certainly, know. like any other new standard, right now, now we'll have a waiting period to determine, you know, where the technology companies are going to go as far as enabling this type of uh, connectivity. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll spend some time thinking about this one. 
Well, I think that'll uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. We appreciate everyone for listening and look forward to everyone joining the next uh, Frequency IoT podcast well, in about a week. One more comment. Two, yeah, two parting thoughts. The Insight, uh, Mars Insight Lander took a selfie. I think that's got to be the best selfie ever. And um, uh, John Legere published a... Uh, a uh, crockpot cookbook. So go on out there and get your hot pink cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That'll give us something to yeah. do while we're trying to stay warm all all winter. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be cooking up some leisure stuff. All right. Well, thanks everyone, and look forward to uh, our next podcast. Uh, talk to you soon, Brian. Thanks.